Well, that's great. Thank you for being with us. It's good to have the scouts with us this morning. Thank you for being part of the service and for reading there. And uh, in anticipation of that, I've been looking up a bit, brushing up on my knowledge of the movement. And of course, Bear Grylls, who is a chief scout and a, a man of faith, I'm sure many of us know and have seen his programs, amazing sort of explorer, uh, a survivor in the wilderness and different things that he gets up to. Anyway, the chief scout, Bear Grylls, says this about your motto, the scout's motto, be prepared. He said, to fail to prepare is to prepare to fail. To fail to prepare is to prepare to fail. In other words, preparation is so important in every area of life. I mean, we've all had to prepare to come here this morning, haven't we? Uh, most of us look pretty well turned out, which means we've prepared. We've had a wash and uh, put some decent clothes on and so on. But um, some of us, we've, we've had to prepare. We've, well, all of us have had to deal with losing an hour's sleep. So that had to come into our preparation. Some of us here in the building, we've had to prepare, think ahead about finding alternative routes to get here this morning because of the Cardiff Half Marathon. And again, congratulations if you've made it. And hopefully today, there's quite a few ladies who are going to enjoy, or maybe you've already enjoyed a breakfast, but you're going to enjoy a nice meal that you haven't had to prepare yourself. It's been prepared by your children or other members of your family because it's Mother's Day today. Just a hint to those who might have forgotten. Preparation. It's so important if you don't want to fail. It's true, isn't it? We know that. If you've got an exam coming up or a test, well, you've got to prepare. You might not like it, but uh, your parents or someone will say to you, have you done any preparation? Have you, have you read the book? Or if you're preparing for a sports occasion, a match or something like that, you go into training, you prepare, or a half marathon if you're running this morning and you're going to watch this later online. Or even just a successful holiday, just to go away and everything hopefully runs smoothly. You've got to prepare. Good preparation leads to good results. And that's why the story that we've just heard read, the parable that Jesus told, might seem a bit strange to us this morning, if we're honest. Perhaps it might seem a bit unfair, a bit harsh on this uh, successful farmer. Do you remember what we've just heard read? He had, let's think of it, first of all, he had a very pleasant problem, didn't he? A pleasant problem. I've been trying to say that clearly as I've gone over it. A pleasant problem. You try it. It's quite difficult. You could argue that this rich man is wise and he's very responsible. He's got a thriving farming business. His land has produced so well, so abundantly, he doesn't now have enough storage space in his barns. So what does he do? Well, he plans to pull down his barns, build bigger barns, fill them all with his spare grain and goods and storage and so on. And then he'll have ample savings set aside for the future and uh, he will be well prepared to enjoy perhaps his golden years or retirement or whatever. Isn't that what we're told we should strive for? Isn't it wise and responsible to save for the future? I mean, he's probably would be quite a good financial advisor, this guy, this farmer. Uh, he seems to have everything figured out. He's worked hard. He's saved wisely. So now he can sit back relax 
and enjoy the fruits of all that he's done. Right? He can eat, drink and be merry. What's wrong with that? Why does Jesus say that God's assessment of this man at the end is that he's a fool? He's a fool. I mean, that's a bit harsh, isn't it? A bit over the top. Well, no, you see, says Jesus, and the reason is this. There is one very important thing that this rich man, with all his wealth and success, has not prepared for. And that's because there's a big mistake that this man has made. And it's the mistake that so many of us still make today. Jesus warns us about it. It's the whole point of the parable. Listen to what Jesus says in our passage. He says, take care, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of your possessions. That's the key, you see. Your life does not consist just in the abundance of your possessions. This man's mistake was that he thought that the whole purpose of his life, his security, his satisfaction, his fulfillment in life, is to be found in the abundance of his wealth, of his possessions, in things, in stuff, in those things that he, 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 he loved and wanted and wanted more of. And you see this mistake, of course, being worked out in this man's thinking and in his planning because he comes up with a very selfish solution, a pleasant problem, and now a selfish solution. It's important to realize, you see, that the rich farmer is a fool not because he's wealthy or because he saves for the future. He's a fool, says Jesus, because he lives only for himself. And because he believes that he can secure his life and his happiness and all that he wishes for in his abundant possessions. That that's what his life is all about. Notice uh, when this rich man talks in the parable, as Jesus tells it, he talks only to himself. He's the only person he refers to. Just in a few short uh, sentences, there are so many first-person pronouns, I, my, and so on. What should I do, he says, for I have no place to store my crops. I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build bigger ones, and there I will store all my grain and all my goods, and I will say to my soul, get the idea? I'll say, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years, so relax, eat, drink, and be merry. He's got more grain, more goods in storage than he could ever hope to use, and yet there's no thought of him sharing it with others, and there's no thought of what God might require of him as the one who has given him his life and his strength and his wealth. No, it's, it's all about him. It's all about I, me, my. He's a self-centered self-made proud man who fails to realize actually that his whole life, his abilities, his health, his strength, his very next breath is actually all in God's hands. He's rich, but he's not rich towards God, says Jesus. And that's what Jesus is warning us about, however old or however young we are, in this parable. Because if we're honest, like the rich farmer, I think we are tempted to think that having a large amount of money, success, 
uh, fame perhaps, possessions stored up, that will make us secure. But it doesn't. That's the lie, that's the lie that Jesus warns us of many times in the Gospels, that the deceitfulness of riches. That's the lie. Sooner or later, we will learn that no amount of wealth or property or things or stuff can secure our lives. No amount of wealth can protect us from a genetically inherited disease. No amount of wealth can save you from a tragic accident. No amount of wealth can save you from that awful diagnosis in the hospital. No amount of wealth can keep our relationships in our families healthy and stop our families from falling apart. In fact, of course, as we know, as, as this very parable illustrates, wealth and property and wills can easily drive a wedge between family members. That's the case here of these two brothers that introduced the parable. The one man stands up and says, tell my brother to de divide the inheritance with me. No, wealth isn't the answer. And of course, most importantly, no amount of wealth can secure our lives with God. We can't buy our acceptance with God, our security with God. Jesus repeatedly warns us that wealth, trusting in it, making it our God, can get in the way of our relationship with God. Take care, he says, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. All kinds of greed. Not just money, but other stuff that we set our hearts on, perhaps. Other things, all kinds of greed, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of your possessions. Now listen, it's not that God doesn't want us to save for our retirement or for future needs. It's not that God doesn't want us to eat, drink and be merry, to enjoy the gifts of his creation, what he's given us so, so liberally. We know from the Gospels that Jesus himself spent time eating and drinking and enjoying himself with people, enjoying life. Of course he did. But Jesus was clear about where our true security lies. It's all about our priorities. What's most important? What's first? It's about who is truly God in our lives. What do we live for? Who is truly God? It's about how we invest our lives and the gifts that God has given us. And it's about how our, how our lives are therefore fundamentally aligned. What are we living for? How, how, what is our perspective? How are we orientated? Someone has said, you've probably heard it before, and I think it's a good statement. Someone has said that the two most important days in your life are the day you were born and the day you discovered why. The day you discovered why you're born. Why are we here? What is the purpose? What am I living for? Be careful, says Jesus. Don't be deceived by greed, by wealth and pleasures, which can never really satisfy you because your life does not consist simply in the abundance of your possessions. If you live like that, says Jesus, you're foolish. This man was a fool because life is much more than that. God's purpose for life, for you and for me, is much bigger than that. We are made for more than that. We are made for God himself. 
We're not just born to amass a fortune and then leave it all behind. That's foolish. And so, thirdly, we have this sad summary, don't we? At the end of the parable, the end of the story. What a sad summary of a person's life. He probably seemed, to all intents and purposes, and to his friends and neighbors, a very very well-to-do, very affluent, very successful man. But God says he's a fool. What a sad summary of your life. You wouldn't really want that on your gravestone, would you? What a fool. He'd failed to prepare. Two men were attending the funeral of a very rich businessman in their own hometown. And uh, one of them whispered to the other, I wonder how much he left. To which his friend replied, all of it. All of it. That's the truth, isn't it? We leave it all behind. This successful farmer, he may have been rich materially, but he was not rich towards God, says Jesus. He had not prepared for the final evaluation of his life and his work, which is the only one that really matters. What does God think of you? What does God think of us? Some of our, my children are involved in Christians in sport. They like different types of sport, the boys and the girls. And I like the Christians in sport motto as well. It, it just, they just have it on their um, papers or even on their shirts and so on. It says, an audience of one. An audience of one. So whatever your context, whether you're playing sport, whether I suppose if it's just uh, table tennis, or uh, if you're playing in a big team, if you're playing in front of thousands, if you get to that level of sport, what really matters? It's an audience of one. You're playing it in the sight of God and for his glory. You see, we can, we can live our lives seeking the approval all the time of other people. We seek the approval of our parents. And yes, of course, that's good. Of our teachers, perhaps, or our football coach. Or simply our friends. We seek the approval of our friends. We want to be liked. We worry what other people will think about us. But that's why it's such a wonderful, such a freeing thing to live as a Christian. Because you know at the end of the day, all that really matters is what God thinks about us. To quote Bear Grylls again, he said this, Jesus Christ comes to set us free. To bring us life and life in all its fullness. That's why faith in Jesus has been the great empowering presence in my life, helping me to walk strong when so often I feel so weak, helping me to walk in freedom and fulfillment as I follow Jesus, who, by the way, is the wildest, most radical guy you'll ever come across. So, if you want to avoid that sad summary on your life, a fool, then, says Jesus, Actually, in another parable, which he tells us, you need to build your life on the rock, not on the sand, on something that will last, something that's solid. And we know Jesus himself is that rock on which we build. Jesus is the rock in which we trust. Jesus is the rock to which we go for shelter and security. He's the rock. He's the one to whom we go for forgiveness for the mess that we make, for our own selfishness. And he's the one that we go to to have this rich relationship with God. It's through his grace and his mercy. He's the rock. 
And as we invest our lives in him and in his eternal kingdom, we find true riches, real purpose, lasting satisfaction. And we will be prepared for life now and for life forever, for all eternity. Be on your guard, says Jesus. Be prepared. Be prepared. Let's pray together, shall we? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the Lord Jesus. Thank you for his authority. We pray that you will give us ears to hear and hearts to be open and lives to obey. We thank you that you've come to us in our weakness and our failure and in all our selfishness and our greed and you've come to forgive us and to give us a new start and a new life so that we might be fully prepared for this life and for the next. So help us to trust you and to follow you gladly in this exciting adventure of the Christian life. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.